Heavenly Father, you are the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are holy, holy, holy. And rightly, we are called to fear you, for you are indeed terrifying and awesome. And yet you call us in our fear of you to see that we can trust you intimately. And we can live out that trust in wise living that shows love towards you and love towards others. To put ourselves not at the center of our own lives, but to put you first and foremost, and in loving you to show that in our love for others. As we continue today in, in thinking about practical wisdom in the area of our money and wealth, we really pray that you have set our hearts right to have a desire to want to live in honor and worship of you in our finances and to think about how we honor you in the way we use it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Right? It's one of those topics in the Bible uh, that has uh, got so many verses and passages and stories connected with finances. Right? It's a big deal. Last week, we talked about words, and that was a big deal. Uh, but so is money. Right? For, for there's a lot that the Bible says about money. But it's easy for Christians, and there's a tendency for Christians to pick and choose the bits of the Bible that they want to listen to when it comes to money. So take, for instance, one extreme, uh, the prosperity gospel, right? Uh, the a gospel or a Bible teaching about how God wants us to be rich. Now, you can easily cherry-pick verses from the Bible to support this idea, right? Take some Old Testament uh, promises out of context, maybe something like Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, about how if you bring your tithe right, to God, and then He will pour into your storehouses such an abundance that you can never contain, right? So give a tenth, and then you'll get more, so much that you can't contain it. And then you mix it together with some promises from Jesus about how if you ask for anything in faith, and you will receive, and then booyah, right? Bonanza, right? Richness is promise, a guarantee for every believer. Or you can go the other way, right? From the prosperity to austerity, right? So, oh, poor one cent there, right? Some Christians have done this over time as well, isn't it? Cherry-pick verses to show how being poor uh, and being in lack is more godly. I've heard this one being used of pastors in Chinese churches, right? We make sure that you live before, below the poverty line so that you trust God more, right? So they pay them half of a, of a wage that can get them to live because then they have to trust God more to provide, right? Show that Jesus never had a house. He never had a place to lay his head. Turn to the story of the rich young ruler and show about the dangers and the tragedy of wealth. And then go to the, 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 uh, the rich fool storing up wealth in his barns, not realizing that his life will be taken from him that very night. Prosperity, austerity, this way of reading the Bible is just wrong. It is not the wise, it is not the right way to read God's word. Now, what could we do today? We could go through the entire Bible, right? Uh, today, tomorrow, for the whole week, uh, and explore every verse and every story that talks about money. Uh, but that would obviously be impossible to do in one morning's sermon. But what we're going to do is to go into Proverbs. Because a Proverbs is actually a good place to be able to see a good overview of what the Scriptures say about money. Uh, because Proverbs, as I said before, is founded on living out a life of wisdom in response to fearing God. Right? And fearing God, we saw, was about how to love God and to love others over ourselves. But Proverbs also contains this mishmash of wisdom 
uh, observe from all of life, both the, the, the things that, that seem to work out as well as those things that don't seem to work out. Right? There's, a, there's a kind of holistic picture <coughs> that we get from Proverbs. But as, uh, we're going to look at Proverbs for, for about 80% of the time, and then we're going to finish off in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, to see how the gospel impacts our thinking and our use of money. Okay, that's the journey we're going to take this morning. So let's begin by looking at the goodness of wealth, which is what Proverbs promotes, right? Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it, right? The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Now, the first thing we're going to say is that riches, they truly are a blessing from God, right? Wealth saves us from not having enough. If you've ever gone hungry, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? Um, if you've ever not have enough money to get clothes or, or miss out on good medical care or, or live in really shabby accommodations or even none at all, I, I don't think that's the experience of any of us. I'm not sure any of us have gone hungrier than, than having a dinner delayed by half an hour, right? But you can imagine what it'd be like to, to be poor and to be homeless and to be in poverty, right? To be able to have uh, wealth not only provides for our basic needs, but to be able to enjoy uh, the good things of life, our desires. We can enjoy cotton sheets rather than polyester ones. If you're not sleeping on cotton at the moment, you should really make a change, right? Polyester is gross. Now, we can, we can drive newer cars rather than old bombs with money. We can choose what kind of food we order when we go to the shops. We can choose what kind of phone we want to buy. And now, you know, there is like budget, there's mid-range, there's, there's high-end, and then there's ridiculous, right? And you can make a choice if you've got money. You can choose whether you want to go to public schools or private schools, and what kind of private school. You can think about what kind of uni to go to, local or overseas, options of what job to take, and even which country that you want to live in. But having wealth gives us choice, and that is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, right? You, you experience it. Everyone in this room is rich. And we have the richness of options and choices. And we see that God affirms this, right? He created the world in its abundance. You go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and you see that he didn't just make one tree with one color, with one activity. Creation in its perfection, in its goodness, is, is ver- full of variety. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Right? Nothing in God's good creation is bad in itself. Money and its ability to buy material things to have and to enjoy is part of God's good world. It's part of God's good world. They are not to be rejected if they are received with thanksgiving. But Paul's qualification there is really important, isn't it? To be received with thanksgiving, for uh, it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, money and what it brings us can only really be enjoyed if it follows these qualifications, right? Only when God is in the picture. That's what it's saying. Only when you go and search scriptures to be able to ask God, what is it that our money is meant to buy us? What is it meant for it to be used for? And that's where prayer comes in, isn't it? It's made holy by prayer because it's a desire to seek God's will and understanding and wisdom 
and righteousness in the way that we earn and we use our money. But the things that money can buy in itself are good things from God if we seek God's wisdom and righteousness in the way that we earn and use it. Now, putting it in the words of Proverbs, what we do with our money needs to be done in the fear of the Lord. And our money is used as a way to express our worship for God, which is to express our love for God through the way we love others in our use of money. And you'll see this in almost every wisdom topic that we'll cover in this series. That it's got a lot to do with how we use our money for others as an expression of our worship for God. Okay? It's taking us away from the center of our lives to love God and love others. Now, when money helps us to worship God and serve others, we can then truly thank God. When we use it for evil or for selfish purposes, then we can't. And we're going to look at this more towards the end. Now, what else is money good for? Right, second point is good for influence. Proverbs 19, verse 6 to 7, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man uh, who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Proverbs 14, The poor is disliked even by his neighbors, but the rich has many friends, right? Now, we, we know this by experience, isn't it? Our Proverbs is observing what life is like. The rich people, the wealthy, enjoy a great social life, right? Friendships of many people. It's just a fact of life. Solomon observed it in his time, and it's no different through the generations. The rich, especially those who are generous, are the kind of people that people want to be around, isn't it? To be able to enjoy their big house, their, their, their feasts, uh, their, their activities. The rich get to enjoy all that. They also get to be influencers. They get to be movers and shakers, right? Being, being stalwarts in their community or in their workplace. They have the potential to be a blessing to others. On the other hand, the poor is disliked even by his brothers and his neighbors and his friends. It's sad, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's just the normal way of life. Now, as Christians, we know this shouldn't be the case. And when we go to the Proverbs of the New Testament, to James, we see that there's a big problem with showing favoritism to the rich. But in the scheme of life, that's the way things are, that the rich have influence more than the poor. The wealthy are attractive, the poor, not so much. Influence. But there's more, right? Security. Proverbs 10. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. And there are Proverbs talking about how riches and wealth can provide a great sense of security. Like a strong city is what your wealth can be, right? The, the rich can use their wealth and resources to stand in times of trouble. There is security that wealth and assets provide. There is always enough right, for a rainy day. When unexpected expenses come up, medical bills come up, you can pay for it. Now, some years back, uh, I, I spoke to a friend facing the reality of uh, unemployment, right? And, and he had a young, uh, young family, a couple of kids, a mortgage to pay. Uh, and I thought he'd be really worried. But he was only a little bit worried, right? Not a lot worried. I kind of think, wow, you've you, you got a young family, I've got a young family. I can't imagine what it's like to be able to be out of a job for 6, 12, 24 months. But he told me, actually... I have an investment property, and I can just sell that off. 
I should be able to have a couple hundred grand to tide me through at least a couple of years. Not too easy. For the rich, you can do that. There's contingencies, there's backup plan. That's the strength of the wealthy, isn't it? But the poor, they don't have this option. Having assets to sell in times of trouble aren't an option for something like 90% of the world's population. They've got nothing to cash in, nothing to fall back on. They can be brought to ruin. When expenses hit, it can be easy for them to have no defense, to perhaps even push them towards crime and, and, and stealing and lying to be able to get through. It is a blessing of the rich to have that sort of security, isn't it? Now, the clear teaching of Scripture is that wealth is a blessing. Right? All this austerity teaching is it, just not supported by Scripture. Wealth is a good thing. But as those of us who seek the whole counsel of Scripture, we will see that there's more to be said about wealth. There are other angles to consider. And as we see in Proverbs, there is definitely other angles to consider. Observe from all of its life and all of the complexities, we see that wealth is good, but it can also be trouble. It can also be danger. Limitations of wealth. Firstly, money can be a curse. Right? It can bring you to ruin. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But a poor man hears no threat. Now you got no money. No one's going to steal from you. No one's going to embezzle from you, right? No one's going to cheat you. But if you're wealthy, then you better watch out. Right? Someone might be out to get you, to get your money. If you don't have money, those threats don't exist. The wealthy have more to lose. They can be held ransom by their wealth. They are forced to make decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make, except that they are tied to building or keeping their money. I spoke to another guy, an older guy, a few years ago as well, and we were chatting about how he would love to be able to retire right, from the stressful work life that he has. He was about late 50, so he wasn't quite retirement age yet. But then I said, well, I know you have a few businesses and you have a few properties. Why not just quit and live off that? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. That's all just paper money. I'm not sure what that means. Explain to me paper money. Uh, not paper money. Oh, sorry. It's like not real money. It's like it's all invested in such a way where they're all linked. And unless you're paying a certain amount, you can't sustain this financial empire that you built for yourself. Right? And so you have all these businesses, you have all these properties, but at the end of the day, you are a slave to it. Because unless you keep working, you cannot sustain whatever it is that you need to sustain to keep this thing going. Now, I actually don't get it because I'm not a money guy, uh, but apparently that makes sense financially uh, to have that, right? So on the surface, the wealthy are wealthy, but then they're tied and they're enslaved to having to serve it, and it becomes like a curse. On a smaller scale, I know some of us know that, right? A mortgage, um, being tied to that and not, not having the freedoms to be able to, to maybe have the wife stop work when they have children. I remember when I first started work, one of the first things I wanted to buy was a new car. Isn't a dream for every boy growing up to buy a car with their first paycheck, pay, pay, paycheck. But of course, first paycheck is like what, two and a half, three thousand dollars, and a car is like thirty thousand dollars. So I was about to walk out the door to buy a car, and I'm sure my dad remembers this. But I, you know, he's getting ready to drive me out to the car yard, uh, and I decided as I was walking out the door that mm, if I buy this car, I'm going to be tied down for at least thirty months, right? Because I didn't want to spend all my pay on it, maybe a thousand a month. 
three years of paying off this car. And for some reason, I walked back in the door and said, let's not worry about it, right? I, I stayed home and didn't buy the car. And thankfully, what that meant was that 12 months later, I was able to go into full-time ministry. Uh, if I had to keep working for three years, maybe I would have been lured by the world or whatever, I'm not sure. But I know that that decision, not buying the car, made me not be enslaved to it and allowed me to be able to make freedom, choices of freedom because I wasn't tied down. The bigger curse of wealth, though, isn't when it ties us down to our financial commitments, but when it draws us away from God. Right? That's really the biggest curse, isn't it, of money. But we'll get to that towards the end. Now, the second thing that's uh, limited when it comes to wealth is when it comes to influence, really how influential is wealth? Right? We, come, we, we get friends, we become influencers, but what kind of friends do the rich get? Oh, no. Oh, sorry, that was the little graphic I wanted to show you when it comes to work. Did you know this about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as you sung along? I-O, I-O, so off to work I go. It's not O-H, you know, it's O-W-E. You know that? You will never watch that movie the same again, right? The Seven Dwarfs. They cannot spend time with the love of their life, the beautiful Snow White, because they've got to go to work. Right? That's the curse of... All right. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Like with the influence that money gives you, what happens when you lose that money? What happens when you're not so rich anymore? Uh, Proverbs, in its view of life, in its observation of life, is that you'll lose them. Right? These fair-weather friends who are sucking up to you because you can give them a good life, they will soon disappear. Uh, the influence of money only goes so far. Not very far at all, really. And what about the security that we get from money? Well, it doesn't really give us that much security, is it? It's very limited security. Limited in power and limited in time. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes lie on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprout wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. I love that little imagery, right? Can you imagine that? Like your money and your possessions sprouting wings and, and flying off. Now, like I told you, I'm not a money guy. I've never owned shares in my life until I got superannuation. Right? I was Singaporeans, like CPF. And in superannuation, they usually invest your money for you to be able to give you more money right, to live off in the future. And so I started to have a, a Macquarie super account thing that I got the login information from. And it literally is like money sprouting wings and fly. Because one day you click on it, and there is like maybe, what, $20,000 in there? And then the next day you click on it, and it's like 18000 And you're like, what? Because, you know, the stock market tanked, or, or, or the currency, or whatever it is that my super, with all of its knowledge, decided to invest in. And, and some of you here who are old enough, Maybe you've been through a financial crisis, and maybe this is all too real for you. To see your money sprout wings and, and fly, isn't it? It's not secure, is it? But even more than this, wealth gives us absolutely no security as we stand before God on that final day of judgment. Absolutely no security at all as we stand before God. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Where the wicked dies, his hope will perish, 
and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The rich and the poor meet together right before the Lord who is maker of them all. When we face our maker on judgment day, we will give an account of our lives. Our bank account is of no use. Rich and poor alike will stand bare before God. It will not add or subtract from our standing before God as we are given account for the way that we've feared Him, the way we have trusted in His Son, and the way that we have lived out that trust with true faith. How we use our money expresses whether we fear God and trust Jesus, not how much money or how little we have. Now, as I read through Proverbs, and I, and I encourage you to do so yourself, what you'll notice when it comes to the idea of money and wealth is that there are a lot of verses that are devoted to comparing wealth and money to something else. It surprised me, right? So I have a uh, software that helps me to search terms. So I searched all the terms related to money, and then I printed out the whole list, and there's something like 90 verses of Proverbs related to money. Some were relevant, some were not. But there were about 20-something of those verses that were devoted to a comparison, showing that there are other things to prize and pursue over wealth. Right? There's a whole list of other things that is like better than money and gold and silver is whatever. Right? And I want to go through what these whatevers are. Okay? There are higher priorities to pursue and prize over money. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain, from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. This is wisdom, right? Wisdom is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches, true riches and honor. Wisdom, far, far more valuable than wealth. Much more blessed. Proverbs 8. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. What do you see there, right? What is better than silver and gold and wealth? Instruction. Being able to hear what God has to say about how to live life. And then living that life in righteousness. That is more precious than any silver or gold. Better is a person, a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is full. Right? Integrity and righteousness. Better is a person, sorry, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Right? A good reputation, a good name. Right? To be known to be someone who is wise and godly and kind to be able to be shown favor from God and from other people, relational joy. These are more important things to pursue and prize over money and wealth. But why is it that these things are better than wealth and money? Because all these things, wisdom, instruction, righteousness, integrity, a good name, and favor, they are more closely connected with fearing God. That's why they are better. That their qualities and pursuits that, that will more express our love for God and love for others. And so these are the reasons why they have to be prized and pursued more than money. 
Now, if you fall asleep and you only want one verse to remember to go home and think about, wake up now, right? Wake, wake. Okay, this is it. That's one verse. You can wake up. Ten seconds. Go back to sleep. Okay, I understand. It's been a big weekend. I could sleep now if I wasn't preaching too, right? So I get it. Um, but beautiful verse, right? Proverbs 3, verse 9. Summary. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You don't hear anything else I say today. Remember, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. I guess I could say maybe you can give your entire first pay pay paycheck, not to the car you want to buy, but to to Jesus. But that's just an option. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The one take-home message from today that I'm going to expand on as we finish. It's... What does it look like to honor the Lord with your wealth? I want to finish on two longish points, okay? Uh, practical wisdom in our wealth. How do we honor God with our wealth? Now, firstly and most importantly, we honor God with our wealth by letting God be God and not letting money be our God, right? And, and at its most basic level, that's what it means to honor God, right? Letting God be God and not money be our God. And the numerous Proverbs warning about the danger of greed, right? Numerous problems about that. And, and it feeds into the wider biblical teaching about the dangers of greed, which is summed up by the Apostle Paul in two places, right? In Ephesians and Colossians, where he simply states that greed is idolatry. To want more and more of what you want is to treat that as God, which means idolatry, right? Paul makes it simple. Greed is idolatry. Jesus puts it this way, right? More familiar to us, maybe. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be de- de- devoted to the one and, be, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you've been at church for any length of time, you'll know this is nothing new to us. But yet we need a constant reminder, don't we? But the, the, the practical question is this, right? How do I know that I'm greedy for money. How do I know that I love money? And we go back to Proverbs and we see this excellent bit, bit of advice, a bit of wisdom. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane and curse the name of my God. Yes, wisdom? The wisdom here is that being rich and being poor is both a danger, a problem. They are both consumed by money in different ways, isn't it? The the rich, uh, they they have money and they love it, so they don't need for God. No, they don't see a need for God. The, the poor, they don't have enough, and so they don't like God, they hate God, they blame God. Right? Either way, they love money. And God somehow gets the rough end of the stick. He gets dishonored. And so the proverb says, it's a good place to be middle. Middle class is good. Kind of. Now, I want to ask you a question. Now, this is proverb, right? It's, it's, it's wise. But I want to ask you, can the middle class love money? Yes. Yes, right? Rich, poor, somewhere in the middle, just right, like Goldilocks, is no guarantee that we won't love money. Loving money 
isn't about how little or how much you have. Loving money is about how much it holds your heart. And how do you know what holds your heart? It's what you think about. It's what you think about, isn't it? Whether you're poor, middle, just right, or rich, money can have a hole in your heart. You can love to have and to spend, or you can love to save and to scrounge. Either way, you love money. Whether you're rich, you can be stingy. Whether you're poor, you can be stingy. Whether you're rich, you can be a, a spender. Whether you're poor, you can be a spender. And obviously, being in the middle, you can do whatever you like to show your love of money, isn't it? Now, the question I want to ask is, when you think about life choices, when you think about the major considerations of your life, how much of it is financial? How much of your big decisions about life have to do with money, are driven by monetary, financial considerations? And how about your smaller, everyday decisions? Now, consider how we might let money be our driving force, right? So I choose to study a degree that will give me the higher or the highest paying job, right? Maybe it's subtle. It's like I say to my children, don't, work, don't spend so much time playing music. My kids love playing music, right? And I say, uh, if you don't get into the music extension program, it's okay. It's better to get into the academic ones because you can't really make money as a musician, can you? Right? We're Asians here. We know that. Music out, art, forget it, right? Come on, right? We, we're talking medicine, professional degree, something like that. Even being a teacher is stable income. Everyone needs teachers. Or we apply jobs based on how much wage it provides for us. And, and when we're in a job, we're always looking out for another job that we can go to that pays us more. That's a primary consideration. Or I buy the house that gives me the greatest return in the future because we're all people who are investors, aren't we? I want to buy the worst house in the best suburb, right? You all know the mantra, worst house, best suburb. Why? Best returns. doesn't matter whether I'm living in whoop-whoop, right? As long as that house can give me money in 20, 30 years to be able to give to my children who will probably squander it anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit cynical, isn't it? My kids are good, they'll be fine. Or we will spend hours, days, and weeks DIYing our own renovations to save money. You know how your wife always tells you, just get a builder and build it already. And then you're like, no, 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 I can do this. To the hospital, right? And you waste all this time because you want to save money. Or maybe we'll, we won't go to lunch after church because we want to save money. I mean, and maybe we'll consider at the end of the year, should I go on holidays? And the first conversation you have with your parents or with your wife or husband or, or with yourself is, can I afford it? That's right. Can I afford it? How many of you ask yourself that question as the first and the primary consideration in your daily and life decisions? But what about other priorities? Why is it that the, the, the primary consideration is money? Doesn't that show a love and a devotion and a thoughtfulness about money that dominates? What about other priorities that show our fear of God and doing what's good for others? What about choosing where to live or the kind of work to do that can allow us to serve God in our local church, to be able to give us opportunities to, 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 to care for our family or to reach out to our work environment? Why would you want to be a scientist in Antarctica where there's nobody there in that station when you could be working here for maybe half the pay but we be with human beings? Okay, this is an extreme example, but you can narrow down, right, the spectrum and think about it. 
What about choosing a holiday based on whether it will benefit my walk with God, whether it's um, an opportunity for fellowship, or whether we can appreciate God's creation? And maybe then we might say we won't go on a holiday because it won't help me to do those things. And what about going to lunch so that I can spend more time sharing life, speaking God's word, bringing encouragement in an otherwise busy week where there will be less or no opportunities to catch up with people? Why not maximize lunch and the $10, $15, $20 it will cost me to go? You see, we show we love money when we think about money too much. When we let money take the driver's seat for our big and small decisions in life. No, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise and that you shouldn't think about money. You should be wise and you should be good stewards of God's money. But we should never let it be the biggest consideration. We should never let it be the biggest and most primary consideration. Instead, the fear of God, the ability to serve Him and to love others should be the thing that drives us. And finances is a part of that, right? Thinking wisely about how we use our money fits into that, but it's subsidiary. It is not primary. It's secondary. Primary wisdom is fearing God. Fearing God. Now, rather than loving money, let's love God instead. Let's love God with our money. Now, how do we do that, right? One more bit of a practical bit as we finish here. Now, the most repeated instruction in Proverbs when it comes to using our wealth is being generous to others, especially the poor. I picked out three just to read out but there's probably at least triple the amount of verses to do with generosity. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God's priority is for us to love him and to love others, and that's a priority for our money also. Being generous to the poor is both an expression of fearing God and loving others. Can you see that? Especially the last one, right? Verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Two birds with one stone. Okay, not two birds. God and people with the one act of using your money generously. Generosity is the great antidote to greed. Right? Generosity is the great antidote to greed. How much have you thought about giving your money away? How much do you think about giving your money away? How much do you think about using money in a way that serves other people? Your immediate family? So the New Testament talks about that. People who don't provide for their own families are worse than unbelievers. 1 Timothy 5. Uh, what about your wider family? What about brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need? Maybe even total strangers going through terrible poverty. Do you guys have a yearly budget? If you don't, you should. Right? You should know where your money is going. Even when you're a teenager and you're being given $100 a week or whatever it is, the going rate is these days. What is the going rate? Tell me later, okay? It will help me in the future. Um, <laughs> do you have budget? And when you do budget for your year to come, where does giving away money come into it? Does it get tacked on to the end and whatever is left over, I will give a bit of that away. Or if there's nothing left over, then I will. No generosity this year. Where does generosity come in your budgeting? Now, there's a whole question with this as well, though. 
Don't be too consumed with thinking about money, even in giving it away. There was an interesting article I read in the past week about how even over, being overly consumed with how much to give away can be showing a love of money, right? being too consumed. Just make a decision wisely and just do it. Right? Don't, don't stress over it. I was just sharing yesterday that um, about a month ago with the tsunamis in Indonesia, I was uh, prompted to want to give to relieve that aid. But then I started thinking about other expenses that came in during that uh, few weeks, and then about the holiday we're going at the end of the year, and then think, 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 and then yeah, I didn't give. So I committed two sins, right? Loving money too much, but thinking about it too much, and then not giving and not being generous. So that's something that can happen to us. Now, as we consider Proverbs in light of God's full revelation, this is my final point. As we consider Proverbs in the light of God's full revelation of His purposes and plans, we see that the gospel takes center stage in what God is doing in this world and in our lives. And so it should be the center stage as well in what we do with our money. You're using our money to promote the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to generosity, I, I want us to start there. There's a lot of poor and there's a lot of poverty in this world, and Jesus recognizes that. There will always be poverty and, 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 and poorness when it comes to financial things. But the single biggest, most dangerous poverty we have is spiritual, which the riches of the gospel alleviates. Life on in Christ, salvation. And so think about how you can be generous to the work of the gospel. Giving to church, to local and overseas missions is what we all already know as what is a possible way of being generous to the gospel. But you can think broader than that. So start there, right? Church and mission giving. But then continue on with thinking about how you can invest money, perhaps in yourself, for the sake of your kingdom work. Spend that money going to Christian conferences to buy helpful books and resources, right? Perhaps take no-pay leave to be able to go to a, an intensive at a Bible college or, or to go on a short-term mission or to maybe even take a whole year off to do a diploma at QTC or BST or wherever. Randy Alcorn, in, a, in his book uh, that uh, I'm going to read, I haven't read it yet, but this quote I got from it, it sounds good, and the book's recommended, so I'm going to read it to you. If we give instead of keep, if we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. Now this fascination in Christian circles with prosperity or with austerity is ultimately the wrong way to think about money. It's self-centered. It's about me having much or about me having little. It's me. Instead, we should see that wealth is a blessing from God. Now, if you have the ability and the means to earn lots of money in a godly way, go for it. But if you don't, then thank God for what you have. Either way, don't love it. Don't love money. Either way, don't pour great attention and energy to it. Instead, pour your energies into thinking about God's higher priorities, what it means to live out a fear of God, to love Him in the way that we love and serve others, and especially in the way that we love and serve the gospel. Giving generously to its work, using our money generously to bless others in any way that we can. Let's pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you now as we consider the topic of wealth and money, and we want to stop and realize just how generous a God that you are. The generosity of your Son, that though He was rich beyond what we can even comprehend as the Son of God, the eternal Son, full of glory, yet He gave up His riches to become poor, to live in this broken world, this sinful world, to face the rejection of man and to die on the cross, stripped of every bit of uh, dignity and, 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 and material things and, and humiliated and shamed for our sin. Then in every way, he became poor for our sake. Oh, how amazing is your generosity shown towards us so that we can know you, so that we can fear you, so that we can trust you, so that we can love you and live for you. We pray that your word will take root in our lives, that we will not be lovers of money, that we will not have uh, our thoughts and our decision-making consumed by monetary things, whether we're rich or whether we're poor or whether we're just right. It's our hearts that are the issue, whether we love it, whether we're consumed by it, whether we think about it all the time. Instead, let us be consumed by you and your ways. Let us love you and fear you. Let us think about your mission that you've given to us to, to draw people to Christ in saving faith, to mature people in Christ. Let us think about how to mature ourselves and to walk in righteousness and integrity. Please transform our money for your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.